Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Welcome back to the Job Shop Show. Your host, Jay Jacobs, here with Matt Goosey, president and owner of a nationally recognized machine shop, MRS Machine, in Augusta, Wisconsin. In 2007, MRS Machining was named one of American Machinist Magazine's top 10 machine shops, and in 2017, they were one of four top shops selected by Modern Machine Shop Magazine, and that was specifically for their efforts in people development. And by the way, a great story that details their selection is on the MRS Machine website. Matt has been granted two patents for cutting tool ideas. That's a little unique. We'll talk about that. But his biggest passion is getting young people involved in custom manufacturing. And he and his late father, Roger, were instrumental in launching a really cool and different approach to put a machining program into their community high school, Cardinal Manufacturing. That deserves a lot of discussion. We'll get into that. And just in general, Matt is a constant learner. I think you will hear that as we talk and how his ideas that are not manufacturing specific still are important in how you run a shop, the philosophy of how you operate your shop, and they will set you up for growth in your shop, or at least minimize the struggle and chaos which we have all experienced in running a shop. So a lot to talk about. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Matt. Thanks, Jay. Um, I'd like to start out by just thanking you personally and for what you're doing for manufacturing. Um, It's amazing that people are getting out and helping um, anything we can do to help promote this great opportunity for people and kids um, is great. So I want to thank you for just for that. First of all, um, well, we appreciate it. And the opportunity for you to tell your story again, these unique things that you're doing. I am so happy to share that with our audience and hopefully that will stimulate some ideas that uh, they may have going on in the back of uh, back of their minds in terms of how they can push custom manufacturing, uh, make that a little more aware in their community. So uh, we're, we're going to get into all that. But first, I wanted to just discuss what I saw on your LinkedIn page about you cycling, meaning pedaled your bicycle over 9,000 miles last year. And You shared that last summer you biked to the top of Pikes Peak. So 
maybe you could tell us a little bit about your cycling passion and what it was like to pedal to over 14,000 feet. Yeah, I, uh, ever since I've been in high school, I played sports and one of my goals in high school was to stay fit. And so fortunately my dad had a heart attack at a young age and I remember coming home one weekend and I thought I was in shape and we went for a bike ride and I don't think I was a mile out of town. And I couldn't see him no more. So I, <laughs> I said, okay, it's time to get in shape. And uh, so I just kind of stuck with it, got into racing a little bit, but um, mostly I just do it for course fitness. But when you own a business, you just need that free time away to get, get your mind cleared out and just come up with ideas. Um, mm -hmm. That's probably the main reason I do it. Um, I, I've generated a lot of great ideas and I just have a stressful day. You go out for a bike ride and you come home refreshed and that's the main reason. And um, my goal was to climb a mountain someday and, I've climbed, I've been in Colorado a few times, but this year I just took the extra training time to climb up Pikes Peak and um, I'm going to hopefully maybe use it as a marketing tool. Hey, I'll, I'll go to high places to, to earn your business. <laughs> well, the elevation in Wisconsin is, I imagine, pretty low. So what was it like as you were pedaling as you got higher up the mountain? Um, at first, when I first started out um, at the base of uh, Colorado Springs, as I was going up, I was like, this is crazy. What am I doing? <laughs> and I met a cyclist out there when I was climbing up the mountain. He's like, mm -hmm. you're climbing up there and you're from Wisconsin? Yeah. <laughs> I had my doubts, but I just kept pedaling along. Um, you don't realize the altitude to, for me personally was about 12,000 feet when I thought, I was having a stroke because my mind was starting to play games and I was kind of like zoning in and out, but somehow you finished, I finished. Yeah. Well, I imagine you're, you're using a lot of oxygen in, in climbing the mountain, but then there's not a lot of oxygen at that altitude. So you, as you said, you probably get in a, a different state. Yeah. 42% oxygen less action on top of the mountain versus the base of the mountain. 42%. Wow. So it's like putting a pillow over your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I have been impressed with as we've gotten to know each other and then as I prepped here was that you are constantly learning. You're trying new thing. You're expanding your knowledge and your capabilities in what, I would consider a growth mindset. What drives you? What makes you do this rather than be satisfied with the status quo? Um, I like people. Um, I like to challenge people. I, I've been challenged. Um, when I was in high school growing up, I was told that I was going to be unsuccessful. I was going to have a future. I couldn't sit in a classroom and just look at a screen, have a teacher talk to me. So I always, said, hey, I'm going to be better in this. And I like driving. I see people that have talents and gifts, and we have to find their talent and gifts. And once we do that, I see people flourish and blossom. And I just get, that's my passion. And I drive all my employees here that way. I drive students that way. You know, what's more exciting to have a, like a, a young youthful guy, kid, girls, mm -hmm. and they see a dream and then help them lay a plan out to get to that dream. Um, I just, nothing's ever good enough for me. I always think it can be done better. 
So how are some of the specific ways that you drive people? Just encourage them. Um, we all make mistakes in life. And the first words out of my mouth, what did we learn by it? Um, so I do a lot of basketball and football officiating. And there's the three F scenario. You fail fast, you fix fast, and you forget fast. <laughs> and I, Can you I, expand on that? You know, I guess I could maybe relate it to manufacturing let's say we're machining a part and we didn't machine, it didn't go the way we should have. Yeah. Um, it's not dwell on that. It's, it's dwell. It's say, Hey, how can we make this better? So now we're in the fix mode and we don't want to keep dwell on how we bad we machined it. It's, 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 it's forget that part of it and it, fix it. And then let's move forward and how we can machine it better. And that's just kind of how I apply things in mm -hmm. life and, what are some of the ways that you learn how you you decide you want to do something? How do you go about it? Well, my my younger days, I just kind of I had no fear, and that kind of can get you in trouble. <laughs> but I still mm -hmm. I still have that fear a little bit. You got that fear factor, mm -hmm. but you also got to live. You got to be on the edge. You know, it's just like when you're cutting apart or ripping some metal off. You take that tool just to it blows up, and then you back off ten percent. And that's usually the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I do. I kind of always have that in my head. Are you more hands-on person? Do you, or do you do a lot of reading? Do you listen to podcasts or other materials? How do you, how do you acquire that knowledge? So back 25 years ago, we didn't have cell phones and all that stuff to learn. So I used mm -hmm. a lot of magazines, read, mm -hmm. you know, read as much time as I could. Um, research called people but now with technology you can go on YouTube and YouTube Google anything in the world and that I kind of use that technology um, podcasts are becoming a big thing I really enjoy them I love hearing mm -hmm. people's stories and if you can learn my goal every day is to learn one thing something new mm -hmm. that's just my passion and if I go home and I didn't learn something new that day I, I really feel depressed <laughs> It could be something little, just something simple, but I just try. I, so I tell everybody here at MRS that we have to learn something new every day. And we kind of preach that among ourselves. That's really interesting because it does come from the top down and we hear the term innovation a lot, but learning is just another way of saying innovation. Uh, change is all about learning so if it's not encouraged from the top down then and I've seen this in a number of shops I'm sure you have too where there's fear by the different team members to try something new because they'll be punished for it so do you do you see your your team having that willingness to try new things yes I, I encourage that um, they kind of got we, you know, we all have budgets in business that we have to stick to, but if they got a, a new idea or mm -hmm. a new tool, they think we bring it in, we test it. We all kind of gather around and talk about it and make sure it's going to work before we, you know, we purchase it. But mm -hmm. I, they're kind of like their own here at MRS. They're kind of like their own owners. I treat them like, an, like they own the place. Um, you know, there's times where we have meetings and I, I have an idea and I think it's great. And, we take a vote and I get voted down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
there's been a number of times, but then there's ideas they bring to well, me. And wait, 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 that, that's, that's hugely important. The, the ego is such a powerful part of who we are and for an owner to be okay with being voted down that you really have to set aside your ego of thinking you know everything everything and know what's best for the company yes um i just like i said we're all in a neutral playing field there's the guy that's been here one month is treated just the same that the guy has been here 25 years um we're like a you know we're a team and that's, mm -hmm. you have to be a team player. Mm -hmm. you know, if well, that's important too, because the guy who is here for a month, he's really, or she, very important in asking questions, why are you doing that? And so often it's because we've always done it that way. And they give you the fresh perspective. Maybe <laughs> just because you've done it that way, it's not the way that is necessarily the best way of doing it. Yeah, some of the evil words of any business. That's the way we always done it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Huh. So could you give us just a brief synopsis of who MRS Machine is so that the audience has a has that sense as we continue our conversation? Yeah, as far as what we do here, you know, mm -hmm. what the show is, it's called the job shop. MRS is a job shop. Um, we, we sell time. Um, we make products in about every industry there is. Um, probably not nuclear. That's one thing we don't do here. We, okay. um, be honest with you, what our customers tell us, we make good stuff. We, we're about service. <laughs> we're about making quality parts on time. Um, we're not the cheapest, but that says a lot for the price and delivery. You have to pay for that. Everybody here is kind of, Part of it, their business owner, they they got the will to come to me with ideas. Um, How big is the company in terms of team team members, square feet, pieces of equipment, that sort of thing? Okay, we have forty seven people that work here. We have thirty two machinists, and what's unique about that part of it? When I say machinists, I truly mean machinists, not people that push buttons because no one here is a button pusher. Okay. They can set, they can take a print, take a hunk of metal and set it up themselves from start to finish. Um, we have 24 pieces of CNC equipment and we have all our equipment is Mazak. There's a reason behind that. Our, when What's I, that? Well, we started out, we're, you know, we're kind of a quick turn shop. We're a high mix, low volume. Mm -hmm. And we needed a control that we could set things up and program it right on the, right on the fly and, go forward. We didn't, mm -hmm. a lot of the guys, a lot of my people come out of tech school adapted to that philosophy real quick. So we just kind of stuck with it. Not saying there's other brands out there that are great. It just, you know, we get great service and they're easy to control. All the controls are the same. Anybody in any, any area work cell can jump on a machine. If a machine goes down, which barely hardly ever does, but we can take that part and put it in another machine. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of kept that mindset. Um, we adopted the same philosophy at Rapid. We used a different machine tool supplier, but all the machining centers were were the same for the, exactly the reasons you just stated. And 
there are huge benefits of that. And I think one of them, which is really important today with the technicians, we, we have, uh, are always struggling to find talented people to staff our shops, but the folks who are supplying us with the machine tools are struggling to find the technicians to service us. And if you are a large customer, you just have more awareness in their mind share that when something does happen, you, whether it's conscious or unconscious, you are more likely to be at the top of the list than somebody who has a mix of machining centers from different equipment providers and hasn't made that commitment. So a lot of benefits there. Yep. And the big thing about Mazak, it's done in one. We can get it all angles of the part. Mm -hmm. so we can turn it, fill it. You know, what we're really good at is turning and multitasking round parts with side features. That's what we really excel at. Um, and the reason I probably got into turning, I think I told you this before is, um, I was kind of, a, I'm kind of a lazy machinist. I don't okay. like to, I like the machine to deburr the part. And when I used to mill parts, you get a sharp edge and I didn't have to go up to get, get something to break the edge. And <laughs> right. Right. So the, that's interesting because most shops, if they have turning equipment, that's a minority piece of their business. But for you, it's the majority. Yep. And just, we, I think we got good at it and that's what our customers tell us. And back when I started, we didn't have fancy cam systems like we do today. Mm -hmm. And most of the time what we use our master um, cam for is to burn the parts. It's much better for the machine to burn. We don't, I say we don't run thousands of thousands of parts. So it's, it's real simple to go in there and deburr it. When you say you use the master cam to deburr parts, how do you, do that yeah um, we ask for a model from the customer mm -hmm. and if we don't get one we'll just draw one up real quick for ourselves which takes a little extra time mm -hmm. and we go in there and we we create the, the tool path grab mm -hmm. the tool and we just download eia program and we let her we let her fly and it just it's a much nicer looking part it's more symmetrical doesn't look are, like you, are you doing like a uh uh trying to think how, how it's described the like the pencil line trace along the edge for sharp edges with the machine tool to deburr is that what you're talking about yeah master camps came out with a new deburring feature and then the program what, what are they what do they call that i think they call it deburr I'm oh not okay it's okay the deburring feature and and you just program that right in and let the machine do the work for you yep it's it's amazing it's a great product. Excellent. When was MRS Machine established? We were established in 1986, and I was a senior in high school. Wow. Okay. Did you go directly into the shop after high school? Yeah. So when I, it's kind of a funny story. When I was, the building we're currently in, I was a senior in high school. I was born and raised on a farm. We had to shut the farm down. And my dad had a second job as a machinist and he worked here. So I started sweeping the floor and I can remember one summer in July that someone didn't show up for second shift and they asked me to run a, 
run that machine and i'm thinking who's this big fancy horizontal <laughs> machine me okay i'll give it a whirl mm-hmm. i just kind of kind of liked it it kind of got the blood flowing and hey, this is kind of cool so one of the guys must have seen some potential to me and he started showing me a little bit about mg programming so the owner that the guy that owned the company came out and said hey i'll send you to school and i'll pay for it and okay well unfortunately he got killed in a car accident Oh, and the place ended up shutting down and that's how MRS started because my dad was friends with some of the customers and we ended up taking some of the material and mm-hmm. putting it, put it in his garage. And they, they asked my dad if he could finish machining it. I, I can still remember this day. He had a, um, a bench top, little self bend lathe and how he ever made those parts intolerance. <laughs> I have no idea, but we did. <laughs> yeah. And, we just kind of grew from there. Um, so that's how I got my feet into machining. And how did you get the name of the company? Um, so, so my dad did this and he figured, well, okay, I guess I'm going into business. So we went and my dad set up the business plan. He just, we wanted to be woman owned. Mm-hmm. All the work they did was government. And mm-hmm. my dad said, my wife's going to be the president. We're going to call it Mrs. So it kind of sticks out. <laughs> and that's how, my mom was actually the president of the company and she, uh, she, we did things that she didn't know about at the time we first started. <laughs> no. So no, Mrs. Saying, MRS machine, but it was a Mrs. Machine, huh? Yep. That's exactly what it is. And today it's my wife's the president or not the president, but she's part of, she's a majority shareholder. So mm-hmm. I got still got two bosses. Okay. <laughs> Anything else you want to share about what you folks do in the shop? What makes you unique to your customers? I think the service part is unique because I'm not a fan of voicemail. When a customer calls or someone calls, they, they're looking for an answer. It may not be the answer you you want to hear, but it's an answer. Mm -hmm. So I just said, I don't want that electronic voicemail. I want to talk to the customer. So that's where the service comes in mm-hmm. and you know, we, we're, we're flexible to where we can, we can, somebody really needs something, we can do it for them. Or if some people it's two weeks, it's two weeks. Um, right. So we, we move lots of things around and that's, that's where that ease of control and having the same machines come in. That's real flexible that way. So one of the things we always did was we, had gaps in our schedule to deliberately allow us to fill them with expedite requests from customers. And we figured worst case was if we didn't get the business, we'd just deliver parts faster. Do you do something similar? Yeah, we built a, we built a little bit of a, like a 20, 10 to 20% gap in there. Mm -hmm. Cause it's hard. Scheduling is the worst headache I have. Everybody, I think everybody has, there's not a, Mm-hmm. I haven't found a system that's a hundred percent. How can it be a hundred percent when you think you, you can machine a job in 10 times and perfect. That mm-hmm. 11th time it doesn't machine quite right. The material warps, stresses, bends, right. bows, gummy. And how do you schedule that? Or maybe some, every machine has its own unique feel. I think, um, all our machines are named after, I kid my, my wife, my old girlfriends. We don't have a 
You got to remember, she's the majority owner, Matt. Yeah, I know. I tell her when she comes in here one day, and it, I mean, she is Vicky. Um, you might, you might want to, <laughs> might be in trouble. <laughs> Don't ask me about that one. <laughs> yeah, the reason we do that is we number one, it takes ownership. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you kind of have an ownership of the machine, and guys kid around with it here and gals. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the machines are named the guy's wife's. So we got a new machine, and the guy that was running that cell. We named it his wife. Yeah. It was, <laughs> we named it Jackie, and Jackie's his wife. So we, we have fun with it. But it's just – it's more for scheduling because yeah, you have a machine one, machine one, mm-hmm. what, what's just a number. Right. And at MRS, nobody's a number. Everybody's a person and has a place and a purpose here. Mm-hmm. And they also want to be here. Right. We had the – the same issue at rapid and we were manufacturing over 35,000 unique part numbers a year. Most of them we'd never seen before. Most of them we never saw again. And we delivered one to two weeks and faster when the customers wanted it. So we had an ERP system, but the scheduling system absolutely did not work there. So we ended up developing our own, which we had a big, I think it was like a 48 or 60 inch monitor in each operation cell that updated the schedule every 30 seconds based upon algorithms, which we developed. And it scheduling is really, really hard. And like you said, if you don't know if or when a job will not go as planned, but you know, typically something is not going to go as planned and you have to, have that flexibility in the schedule to adapt and still make sure you're not going to make anyone's parts late. So I think it's really important what you said for job shop owners who are listening, don't schedule to maximum capacity to hundred percent capacity, leave that 10 to 20% gap because worst case is you deliver parts early. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah, and makes the customer happy. So, um, you have a uh, statement question that starts with the word imagine. Can you share that with us? Yeah, I always like to, when I go to schools and speak or speak in front of business groups, I always start out, imagine having a, a machine shop full of young, talented people with your average age of 30. And I say, welcome to Amherst Machining. And my average age is 30 years old. And most of these guys that are 30 have, you know, nine years experience because Hmm. I developed them when they were in high school. Mm -hmm. So I think the average age of machine shops 58 as of today, as we speak. Um, But these having kids that there's good and bad being 30. The good mm-hmm. is they're talented, their minds are fresh, they're creative, they're on fire, mm-hmm. but, but then they get married and have babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to deal with that a little bit, but mm-hmm. that's, that's a good, that number of good problems to have. So 30 as an average age, as you said, way below the normal machine shop average age. How does that happen? 
Well, it doesn't happen overnight. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. I am um, right around the turn of the cent, 2000. And I can kind of get into that a little bit. Yeah. I just, well, I remember in 2000 and all our computers were going to just go blank out and, and then everything was going to be done over the internet and we didn't need salespeople or phone calls no more. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't believe that. And I like to face to face. But that time though, I, I thought, you know, I have to develop people and I have to keep, try to keep people young. And I, and all the schools were taking all, all their tech ed programs. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was, I, at the time, I just knew there was something going to happen. And everybody talks about skills gap. It ain't, it ain't a skills gap, Jay. It, it's a training gap because when you take all your manufacturer tech ed programs out of schools, all the kids know is four year college. That's right. what they're taught. You got to go to a four year college or you're a loser. Mm-hmm. So that's why we do. That's why we have a problem right now. Now in the last five years, we've all woke up and said, Hey, we got to get tech ed programs back in because we got all these manufacturing jobs not to fill. So you're going to see it in five to 10 years, we're going to start put more pools into the place. So, so that's when I said, Hey, I, back in 2000, I got to do something. So that's when I started knocking on doors and trying to figure out how I can do this. And fortunately I met a guy called Craig Krakowski from Oliva Strom. And that's kind of how Cardinal manufacturing developed. So just back up, Oliva Strom is a, the local high school. Actually it's 20 miles away. Okay. Well, um, here's a funny story. I look out my window right now. I can see our high school. Oh, and that was another thing I did. I, I ran for school board because I was frustrated that I could not get in the door and I, with our tech ed program I had to get developed. And some, I mean, just some school districts get it and some school districts don't. And mm-hmm. you can only go so far. But we developed, we got, we're, getting, we're rolling, the ball's rolling over here in Augusta. But the reason I joined the Strom is I had Craig, I met Craig and Mm-hmm. He, he's that's on we'll, we'll talk more about that he's just he's a firecracker he could just well tell hold. us about him <laughs> okay well 2006 i was at imts show and i'll, I'll give my imts promotion here mm-hmm. all, all great things happen at imts it's just not <laughs> looking at machines and stuff you meet people right fortunately i met craig and we didn't have cell phones back then for some reason and it was kind of a, I met a guy and he said, Hey, meet at this banner at 1030. And okay. So I met Craig and we got together and we met and he started telling me, he said, Hey, I'm going to set up. I, I had a job shop in a school and it worked real well. And then it died because I moved back over to leave strum. I'm finishing up my teacher license and I'm going to start a job shop in a high school. And I looked at him and I'm like, man, that's kind of like music to my ears. Hey, when you get, back from Chicago. Can you come and see my dad and me? Sure. Okay. Well, we waited probably, I don't know. It must've been as a summer or spring. Mm-hmm. He calls us up and Hey, Matt Raj, can I come over and see you? Over and I can still remember this day. My dad told him, you know what, Craig, one hand's for giving and one hand's for receiving. And I haven't been doing a very good job at giving and what do you need us to help us out? And Craig kind of looked at us kind of funny and and I told Craig, I'll go shoot for the moon. And he said, okay, <laughs> I, want, I need a CNC lathe or a CNC mill. I need a manual mill. And my dad said, we got one out here. We got, we got a saw. We got a Bridgeport mill. You can have them. They're yours. 
And Craig kind of looked at me and, well, okay. And so I just kind of got on his back and started riding with him. And, and Craig said, I can't do it overnight. It's going to take two years to clean the shop up, bring that culture into our, the school district and kind of go from there. And he did an excellent job at it. And, and today it, it's just, it's a passion of mine working with those kids. Um, so this is called Cardinal Manufacturing. Yes. And the reason it's called Cardinals, they're called the Levis Drum Cardinals. That's their logo or that logo, that's their mascot. Okay. And this is in a high school and it's a for-profit machine shop, not a machining program in the high school uh, or maybe it's part of the machine, but it's specifically, from what I understand, they are making parts that are sold. Is that correct? That's correct. So the first question that came out with a lot of area local shops is like, they're going to be our competitor. Well, I told them, if you're threatened by a bunch of teenage kids who have <laughs> class about two, three hours a day, you got other problems, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely the way to be looking at it. Yeah. And yeah, so what's it, you know, this school has got 170 kids in the whole school. And all four we, grades. All four grades. Yes. No, seven through seven through 12. Seven, oh, whoa, okay. we, we, started, we started in middle school and we have 85 kids in that program. Now remember, we're in the middle of a cornfield now. So we start them in seventh and eighth grade. We teach them metals. We do a little projects on woodworking. Um, we start teaching the soft skill part at that age. Mm -hmm. And then once they get in the high school, then we start teaching metal ones, metal two. And then when they become juniors and seniors, they have to apply to get in the program. So now what's, what is cardinal manufacturing? Well, it's really a student run business there that we have office people. We have marketing people. We have production supervisors. We have lead machinists, lead welders. They have to talk to the customers. They have to meet deadlines. They have to make the parts to the print. Mm -hmm. Now these ain't, high tolerance parts they're making it's it's parts that any other shop probably wouldn't do or mm -hmm. you'd be going backwards but these kids take these projects and they learn mm -hmm. um, they, they learn a soft skill part i always say if we can teach them the 10 commandments of soft skills the rest comes easy so the program does three things it, it does generate a revenue for the school 30 percent goes back to the school because they have to pay for the lights air conditioning right. heating and all that 30% goes back into the program for buying tools and materials. But the, the key thing here is 30% goes to the, the students. Well, how much is that? Well, on average year, we give a student uh, $2,400. So they literally get paid to go to school. Really? And, yeah. So that excites a lot of kids. So it's really a job. They're going to school. And it's also a job. You know, how exciting is that? Mm -hmm. No. It's kind of like a profit sharing. You know, if you're not good in school, you do some naughty things. So you're late or you're tardy, or you don't show up. And while we take off, we, we start back figuring that a little bit more. Uh -huh. so not every kid gets $2,400. Some may get $1,900. So we've just been really cutting a check to them. And there's a lot of, well, how can you do that in a school? You can do it. We Actually, it's a club. We put in a club account okay. and they actually, they actually work for the school. Mm -hmm. The legal, legal, legal alley. It, it's all, we, I, I suggest you come to a workshop. We can explain that all to you. Cause I could 
I could literally take an hour so trying to explain that. If if a job shop owner is interested and you say come to a workshop, do you hold workshops locally to teach this concept? Yes. Or do you do it do it nationally even or at at IMTS or stuff like that? Well, we do it right at the Lieberstrom School. Mm -hmm. We we have a template. I'm all about processes. Mm -hmm. So we develop we develop the book. So it's a step by step. We're getting better at it. We're not perfect at it, but on day one, do this. And mm -hmm. first month, do this. It's kind of laid out. Craig and Tally do a great job of that. So we invite people to come in. It, you know, it's we had actually we had one yesterday again. Mm -hmm. We have anywhere from twenty-five to forty people on average. But the one in the summer, we usually get about a hundred, hundred and twenty, because who wants to travel in Wisconsin in the winter? <laughs> you never know with the weather. And people are coming from all over the country? All over the country. Um, wow. We have them from East Coast to West Coast. We, we actually have a lot of people, replicated schools doing this already. Um, I know there's six, I think there's three in Indiana for sure. Uh, Eagle Manufacturing and Owl Manufacturing. We have Rocket Manufacturing in Iowa. We have Tiger Manufacturing, Northwoods Manufacturing in Wisconsin. There's two other ones that are just starting. So it's starting to spread. Wow. That's, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We, we call it varsity shop is what we really call it. You know how mm -hmm. some schools we, I don't know, recruit for athletes. They want their schools to be known for good athletics. Mm -hmm. so we recruit the area for being the manufacturing community. And here in Wisconsin, for every student you bring into your school that open and rolls in gets $9,000 and we usually have about 20 kids open and rolling into that school. So that that's more revenue for the school, which helps build it. They're coming from outside the district. In other that's words. correct. Yeah. But what's really amazing in the program, Jay, is I've seen kids come into that program that can't speak two words, have no self-esteem, come from broken homes. And you go over and you start talking to them and you start showing their skills and you start finding their talents. They just like, it's like a flower. It just blossoms. And they have their, they build their minds up. They get such positive. They they know where they're going in life. Where before they, they would be lost and who knows, they'd be getting drugs, alcohol, get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're catching them really early. And I have a couple, a couple superstars working here. I, I guess I call them rock stars that work for me now that, no, can you imagine taking an 18 year old kid and sticking them on a five axis machine and saying, have at it. <laughs> A lot I of mean, trust there. A lot of trust there. <laughs> and being that I got Maddie and Alex right now that just, they, they're 20 years old. They're producing parts that you, you, I can't even do personally. I, it's amazing what they can do with their minds. And But you just encourage people and it, it's exciting. It's fun. That's and, tremendous. I, what, when they graduate, the kids who are in the shop varsity, what is the, do they have jobs? Are they, what's, what's the employment rate of the kids coming out? So unfortunately, not everybody goes into machining or manufacturing or welding, but mm -hmm. you know what? That's all right, Jay, because at least they're not going to go to school and spend 30, 40, 50,000 a year and walk out of, oh, this isn't for me. Now they got a $50,000 debt hanging over their head. Mm -hmm. You know, some people go into plumbing, electricians, going to nursing, going to mm. being teachers. Yep. At least they, they know that what they don't want to do, they know what they want to do, and they yeah. 
that's great. And another thing this program does is we get scholarship money. Most of these, you know, anybody that goes into manufacturing, machining or welding, their, their school is 100% paid for. Because on the backside of this, we have a lot of supporters. We have a lot of um, people funding. Uh, do they just give money to the kids? So every kid that goes into manufacturing, their school is 100% paid for. So when they come to me or they go to work for UGA or they go work for the next guy, they have zero debt. They got a college. A 21, 22-year-old or 20-year-old kid has zero debt and has a two-year technical degree in machine tool or welding. So what's what's the path for the two-year technical degree after the Cardinal Manufacturing Program? So we get them enrolled in the area tech college here called CVTC. And we sign them up. And a lot of their credits are getting, what they learn at Cardinal, get applied mm -hmm. to their tech college. So a lot of that's paid for. And that's another reason you can save a little bit of dollars. But it's all the sponsorship that pays for the school. I mean, we have a, we have a fund and we have a couple local people that have been really successful in life and have given back to the community and given back to the school. Hmm. And, of course, then MRS helps out a little bit. So their school's paid for it. Some kids, you can even, they don't, that's, they don't know how big that is. Cause I have a lot of people that work for me here that went to the four year college. I've got six years of college, have a hundred thousand dollars of debt. And they're working for me and they're making good money, but still they have a hundred thousand dollars debt. And I, the other, the same words come out of their mouth, Matt, why didn't you tell me this sooner? Well, I did, but you came from a different school district that didn't emphasize on manufacturing. One of the things I like about what I'm hearing with Cardinal Manufacturing is beyond the hard skills there is I think you refer to it as the soft skills. I'll call it the business skills because even though they are making parts, they're also learning if they don't keep the customers satisfied, then the customers will reject parts. They will not get paid. There won't be that profit sharing and the sales and marketing, the probably the quoting, all the all the business side of manufacturing or just business in general, they are learning it from a real world experience rather than just a theoretical. Yeah, they're all really business owners over there. That's what's kind of unique. So when they come to work for you or me, they have that mindset. I can give you a perfect example. I remember a year ago, Craig calls me up, Matt, we have a problem. I go, what's that? Well, there's a little we're having a little problem with a couple of students fighting. And so I said, I'll be right over. So I went over that afternoon and mm -hmm. call them all in the room. What's the problem? Well, you can't tap aluminum on a, a CNC mill. Oh, you can, huh? No, it don't work. And he says you can, he says you can't. And they weren't getting along. So I go over to the wall. We have the 10 commandments and I, I can send you the link for the 10 commandments of soft skills, getting along and playing it. This, the sandbox together was kind of the one I pointed you to. And I said, you guys got to figure this out. You can tap aluminum. And what they didn't know, they only know what they know, right? Mm -hmm. So I went over there and I, first thing I did is I measured the, the, the drilled hole. I said, what size drill you got? And they said, well, we got a three sixteenths. Is that the correct drill, tap drill for a quarter 20? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so we, 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 <laughs> we worked through that part of it. And all of a sudden, the project, and they got the correct drill size, and I explained to them that drill charts are back from the 1950s. They were designed to, you know, 
expect that that drill is going to cut oversize. Well, today's drills and the sharpening skills, they actually cut the size. So you have to use the correct drill size in the drill chart. Mm. Well, we, we drilled it out. We, and they started tapping aluminum parts and life was good again. They said they were sorry they made up. And, but that was a life learning skill that just don't blame somebody and point fingers. You have to figure it out yourself. And so what are, what are some of the other uh, of the 10 skills that, and when, where did those skills, where, where did the top 10 come from? Actually, it came from a good friend of mine, Dan Conroy. He, um, he, he's a, he, me and him are kind of got a passion for teaching kids and Dan's done <laughs> just wonderful. And the company he works for is Nexon. So it's called the Nexon 10 commandments. Dan's kind of retired now, but Dan just sat down and said, Hey, we got to come up with some soft skills. And basically in 10 minutes, he wrote this top 10 commandment thing. Huh. He's just an amazing guy. He's an awesome speaker. If everybody wants to come and have some speak, I learned so much from him. Actually, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to 2007 when I won the um, American Machinist Top 10 Award. Mm -hmm. That's a lot, lot to do with Dan because Dan invited me to his facility. And I encourage that. That's another thing. You know, we're all shop owners. We're all humbled. We're all like, oh, we can't tell our secrets. We can't show people. I, I don't encourage that. Around here, we all invite each other to each other's shops. And mm -hmm. we, we're not there to steal customers. You know, Jay, we're not, we're not, we're not in competition for customers we're in competition for employees it's, we're fighting so <laughs> yeah we invite each other in we give each other ideas we share ideas so i had a lot of ideas that dan gave me like right away i came back and applied into my shop and that's how i got better i mean I put computers in the shop you know we have computers in all our cells we have all the prints all the drawings and communication in any business is huge and our communication here is it's pretty good. Um, well, everybody knows what's, you know, everybody knows what's going on. You don't. Well, let's, let's get into that a little more. You say communication is, is important and works well at MRS. Are there formal ways you do it? I'm sure there's informal ways, but how do you facilitate communication? So in all our cells, we have computers mm -hmm. and we have this little thing called app notes and we kind of designed it ourselves so mm -hmm. if i'm sitting in my cell and i'm not making the runtime i'm short material or i have a print question well nine times out of ten you got to grab your print go walk around the shop you got to go find somebody now it's 25 minutes mm -hmm. yeah so we have a little app we click on it we type up a little note hey so and so i'm not making my times i'm short material i have a print question and it instantly goes to that other cell and from the office, from across the street to the saw guy, wherever it needs to go, it mm -hmm. goes. It instantly gets it. Okay, we can instantly get an answer within five minutes. He can still keep running parts or doing whatever he wants to. Now we just saved a bunch of time. If I need more material, we actually even have it on our fork trucks. So if our fork truck driving over to our <laughs> next building, it'll pop up. Oh, I got to get job number XXX and bring it over. That's where the communication comes in. Mm -hmm. And then you know, a lot of people want to know why people are gone that day. So we can pop up the vacation calendar. And they can see instantly where who's off today and why they're off. Mm -hmm. yeah. They can instantly pop up a drawing. We have all our training manuals available right there. They can either print it off or pull up something. It's just right in front of them. And you can't imagine what that does. Well, no, I can imagine. And that's something you developed internally. 
yes, internally. And we actually opted a little bit more. You know how I like to work with kids and I, I know there was a better way of having our material flow through our shop better because our average, I like to track things. I'm a tracker. Mm-hmm. And it took us 25 minutes to get the material to our cell from where, where we stored at. 25 minutes wasn't good enough. So I had a goal. Let's, let's make it 10. So one of our maintenance guys here said, hey, I think I can write a computer program. So I hired the valedictorian out of Eau Claire North for one summer to come down just a computer whiz. Mm-hmm. We wrote our own custom software. So we scan our job traveler. It instantly tells you where it's at. So if it's in Ben A4, I know it's an A4. I go over there and I get it. If I have to get a fork tuck driver, it'll it'll note the fork tuck driver that, hey, I need A4 in cell number two. We went from 25 minutes to five. So now we're, we're things are keep humming and humming and humming. And I can tell you another thing we did, and everybody wants to buy this product, Jay. I don't know how to sell a software product. We just develop for ourselves. We barcode all our material. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Okay, so my dad was always a stickler about inventory material and it would take us literally four days to do inventory of our raw material and we just kind of put our heads together and so we developed a little sticker the sticker was the key because when you get material all the the paperwork falls off and all that stuff right we found a sticker that actually sticks and it's (laughs) take an act of god that we even tried sandblasting it off and it didn't work that was the key so we can identify material and on that little sticker we have our po number we have the material type and we have the material size so literally when our saw guy goes and grabs a bar of material he scans it saws it and mm-hmm. he'll measure how much he took off and put 12 inches puts it back on the shelf we know where it's at we know what the material type is we know the po number we know the heat number it's instantly there available hmm. so when our lady wants to order material it'll pop up and say hey you got 12 feet in stock but you need another 12 feet. So now she's only ordering 12 feet instead of 24 feet. Right. It's huge. You know, I love these stories, Matt, because we, I think, get mesmerized by the technology that's coming out, the robots and some of the other ways that people say manufacturing will be changed but what you're describing is much more realistic and it it nails the low-hanging fruit which i had a saying at rapid let's automate the rote so that the people can add their true value and what you're describing there is instead of somebody walking around the shop for 25 minutes trying to find somebody they continue doing what they're good at so and i I love how you you have looked at these and said how can we how can we tackle them how can we become more efficient and it doesn't seem like at first glance okay uh, let's move the material faster but yeah that makes a huge difference doesn't it yeah i mean it just I can't put with dollars and cents on a lot of this stuff, but mm-hmm. on, on the back side of this, Jay, I have a, we developed a incentive program and this is what really helps. And I, I would suggest any job shop owner out there to do this is um, I give 40% of the profit back to my employees. Now, you, so you do, you, to, do you, excuse me, do you have open books in so they know exactly how much money the shop's making? 
Yep, we have open books here. We we post it monthly how much there it's in the profit pool, and we also post a scrap and if they make scrap how much money that's taken out of each other's pocket. Now we don't utilize it. Well, so and so scrapped out this much money. We don't we don't play right. those games here. We one person screw, messes up, we all mess up, and we all my first words out of the mouth. Well, where did we learn from it? And but really it. I probably, I did that three years ago. I bet you my profit and went up 20, 30%. Now, if you give 40% of your profit back to the employees, that's like, you think you're giving them money, but on the backside, I, I probably made another 30, 40% because they took ownership and everything. When did you make the books open? Uh, 2016. So relatively recent. Yeah, recently, yeah. What prompted you to do that? Well, I always tell people I can write a, I'm going to, someday I'm going to write a book, a uh, machine shop, one, how, how not to run a machine shop 101. How to, <laughs> I can contribute to that. Can you? <laughs> how I'm still in business sometimes, I, I just shake my head because me and my dad were machinists, right? Mm -hmm. We know how to make parts. And yep. someone asked me what a balance sheet and income sheet were. I look at them like, oh, that's a checkbook thing, right? <laughs> So I took, I was in a peer group for many years and I learned a lot of things. And so I can go back to some, you know, back in 2013, I lost, lost my dad. And really I lost, I lost my best friend. I lost half of myself and I went through all the emotions of that. And, and then a year later I lost my mom. And so it was a struggle. Hmm. And I just knew my dad did the finance part of it because that's kind of what he, he was not healthy enough to go out in the shop and make parts. And I just had a fear. I can't do this finance thing. It just, it's not for me. So I ended up finding a guy who's a CFO, great guy. His name's Michael Key. He's, he's kind of a, he's my, he's my CFO, but he's not here full time. And mm -hmm. he comes in here and he just taught me so much about financing. And I said, you know, I, I talked about becoming an e-stop company, employee-owned company and that's how this all generated. And he said, I tell you what, we got a better, I got a better, I got a better idea. <laughs> he says, let's put, let's skip, let's do an incentive plan. And he's the one that kind of talked me into it, showed it, showed me how to do it. And we brought team members in and everybody thought it was a great idea. And, and it's, you know, I hire people smarter than me, Jay, and I just get out of their way. And mm -hmm. I let, you know, if they have a problem, they come to me and I roll my sleeves up and say, Hey, how can we, fix this to get better or do whatever we have to do. And the place just hums. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm very fortunate for what I have. I think that opening the books would be scary to a lot of shop owners. So any words of advice there or things that might help somebody who's thinking about it, get over the hump. Yeah. Just don't post, you know, don't go out there and post everything. Because too much information is not good because mm. what happens is they start trying to become like I did, trying to become a financial guru guy and okay. get overwhelmed and they start asking questions. Just keep it simple. Anything gotcha. I like, just keep it simple. We just pull, we post key numbers. We post, uh, we post course, we post incentive pool, we post the sales number and what our budget is and where we're at. And then we post uh, cost per employee. And then we also well, post our, our um, attendance. You know, people mm -hmm. are late that, no, that went away overnight too, because that was based on attendance. We had a little bit of attendance problem, people showing up a little late and mm -hmm. we threw a thing in there 
you can't be late more than 24 times. Now, granted, we have snow up here. If there's a snowstorm or right. someone's in an accident, no, that doesn't dock you. So now we move that down to 12, day, 12 days a year. It's, it's the tenants. We don't have an attendance problem anymore. It's less than 2%, if that. And that dropped dramatically once you put the incentive plan in place. Yes. Yep, that, that all went away no within kidding. a month, within a month or two. It's wow. Just, well, you know, last year, I we, we had a pretty good year, and there, mm -hmm. there was quite a hefty bonus check because mm -hmm. everybody was busy and humming. And mm -hmm. then you start throwing out them kind of dollars, it's, it's, a, it's a lot. I mean. Well, and then it's not you or managers leaning on people. Why are you late? It's your peers because yep. – you are affecting their profit sharing. That's correct. That's the problem, take, the yeah. problem takes care of itself. And I'm not the bad guy at all. I don't right. have to go out there and put my, my dad used to put the finger in the chest sometimes and I don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I admire your management style and particularly for putting your ego aside and allowing, trying, trying new things and implementing them. So I'm, I'm sure you've had implementations that haven't gone well. How do you think about those? How do you recover from those? You know, life's a learning, learning experience every day. Um, like I said, I go back to the three F's. Fail fast, mm -hmm. fix fast, and forget fast. And, you know, I try not, I don't dawn on the failed part but I do remember what I learned from it and mm -hmm. I move on and gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. We're getting close to the end of the podcast here, but I wanted to make sure we talked about the patents that you have been awarded. Those were on call it less boring tools. If yes. Right. What, a lot of shop owners have ideas they think are patentable. Obviously you had some that you got patents on. What made you decide to go ahead and pursue that whole uh, process? Unfortunately, well, what got me into that is remember the great recession. Mm -hmm. I had ideas, but I just, we don't have time in a job shop. You have to get parts out the door and make product. And I just never had time to have, I have a ton of chicken scratch ideas on my paper. And I got sick of wrapping my knuckles, I'm taking a boring bar and a lathe and tighten it down and taking another lathe and tighten it down. And then you would have vibration and tooling. And I got sick of it. So when the recession hit, we didn't have a lot of work in the shop, but I don't think many shops had a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I said, all right, I'm taking the, this idea because my knuckles really hurt. <laughs> and I just developed it and tested it. And everybody in the shop floor tested it. And hey, this is cool. And what's, what was cool about it is, you know, everybody buys carbide boring bars because of the dampering effect and, and you can gain another one or two ratio. Well, I made these, what the product is, I should back up. It's a mm -hmm. call it boring bar. It's basically, I have the shank size of one inch or inch and a half, inch and a half or two inch. And it's all one piece. And we have coolant coming from the back. We have the coolant coming from the side and it works really great. I mean, it's just like a carbide boring bar, you know, mm -hmm. for half the price. But we did it at the shop here, and I'm like, wow. That's, so I had a goal. I want a patent. Okay. Well, I mean, this is patentable. Okay. So how do you develop a patent? I had no idea. And fortunately, I had time. I had time in my sight. <laughs> I made the parts. 
I started researching. I'd go home, Google. I went and patent, the US patent website, and I type up keywords. And I'd probably spent, to be honest with you, Jay, probably two or three months just searching if there was an idea or anything close. And I couldn't find nothing. Well, then, now what do I do? So I kind of searched around. I thought, oh, man, I'll get a patent lawyer. And the patent lawyer was like thousands and thousands of dollars. And But everyone said something a little different. And I said, geez, you know what? I can do this mostly myself. I really want to. Hmm. Um, so what I did is I drew up my own design. I mean, they have a CAD system, piece of paper. Mm-hmm. I drew up all the figures. I kind of put a description in the place what it is. And I didn't go hire a patent. Well, the first thing I did, that's a, let me back up. The first thing I did is I drew up the idea and I took it and I went down to the post office and I got a date and time stamped on it just in case someone wanted to take it and steal it. Right. Now I have some kind of documentation. That's the first thing I did. And I learned that from talking to one of those patent attorneys, just some free advice, I guess. So now I had some kind of documentation. So I got all my plans drawn up, descriptions drawn up. Then I knew I needed some patent. Someone's a patent. It wasn't a patent attorney. It was a patent, like a kind of like a lawyer that works for underneath the lawyer. Mm-hmm. He, said he could do it. And okay. And he said, wow, you got pretty much everything done. And so we submitted it to the patent office and he said, it'd probably take a year or two. Well, I had my two of my patents in my hand in six months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he said. I can't believe this. How did you, and that, so now what do I do with it? And that's where I kind of failed the marketing end of it. You know, MRS doesn't, everybody asks, well, who's your sales team? And I kind of look around and we don't, MRS doesn't have a sales team. We have a website, I mm-hmm. guess if you want to call it. And, but you know, word of mouth is what sells us for what we mm-hmm. do and make our own product. We make good product. We make good stuff. And mm-hmm. that's the bottom line. If that word spreads like wildfire, but. What would you say to a shop owner who thinks they have a patentable idea and wants to get a patent or explore that? Well, the first thing I would do, I take the idea and trying to draw a little, some chicken scratches, go down and put it in a piece of paper, go down and maybe the post office and get it, get a date on there. That's, that, that's your <laughs> idea. Then I would go on the U.S. patent website and start Googling it or start looking for keywords of what it is and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to, some things are going to come up and just, you have to kind of tease through it and look for it. That's the start right there. Um, to go hire somebody, you know, if you got thousands and thousands of dollars to spend, yeah, maybe hire somebody to do that for you. But really, you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was going to do it today, I probably wouldn't do it because I'd be scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think was, it also, though, it's, it is pretty cool to have, have patents, to be able to say, yeah, you've got a patent. But the other part of it is that you have a product sounds like it is better than potentially what's out there, but without sales and marketing and essentially making the time to make a business selling it, it's, there's not, it's in essence just sitting there. Well, yeah, not exactly what it was. I tried to market myself, Jay, but who do I market it to? I market it to my competitors. Yeah. And I, then I tried a distributor and they wanted distributed pricing and I didn't know none of that. So I did I ended up selling my patents a year ago. Oh. Um, so he actually, the reason I ended up selling it because he was kind of, they were kind of copying the idea of it. And, and I just, he made the offer, hey, can I buy your patents? And I said, sure. 
and mm -hmm. we, we ended up selling them. And now I'm happy because someone's doing something with the idea. Right, right. Starting to be successful for it. Yeah. And great company, great guy. So we're, it's a win-win for everybody, I think. Otherwise, it would still be sitting on my desk. Right. Well, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. I think that the listener is going to gain a lot of valuable ideas on creating more of a team environment and trying new things. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to share all this in your story. And in particular, the Cardinal Manufacturing, it, that, that first of all, it's amazing that uh, you were part of that. And I think it, if you and your father had not contributed, it, it probably wouldn't have happened. And now you have other programs in the country following in your footsteps. So really appreciate you sharing that. Um, anything else you'd like to add before we go? No, I'm just, you know, some people are out there, you know, maybe they're feeling down or out or don't think they, things ain't going right. Just, just keep your head up. If you got to, you know, if you believe in yourself, you're a good machinist. Mm -hmm. There's people out there that can help you, are willing to help you. Um, you know, America's really based on small businesses. So we mm -hmm. need more small businesses to keep afloat. But just keep your head up and believe in yourself and keep moving forward. That's I love the message. I love the message and the optimism, the positivity. Where can people reach you, Matt? They can reach me, of course, they can reach me on LinkedIn under Matt Goosey. They can. Then, now just uh, for the audience, that's G U S E? Correct. They can reach me on www.mrsmachiningco.com. And you've got some great stories on your website under the news section. I, I think actually you've done a super job with your website. So definitely worthwhile checking out there. All right. Anything else, Matt? Nope. I just thank you for the, for the opportunity and I, Hope somebody out there is listening that I inspired them to do something they wouldn't normally do. Great. Well, thank you for being on the show. And listeners, thank you for making us a part of your day today. Really appreciate you turn, tuning in. One thing we will be doing this year is trying different podcast formats. And one of them will be a Ask Me Anything episode. So if there are any questions you'd like to ask me about my experience at Rapid, please go to our website, thejobshopshow.com and email those questions in. We really want to make this podcast valuable for you. So any feedback as well is appreciated. Until next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a great day.